Chapter Six of the Fairy of the Snows by Francis J. Finn, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Six. Alice and Elsie Morrow surprise Father Carney, and Father Carney surprises Miss Dalton. About the end of March, Alice and Elsie presented themselves in the school office with a certain amount of formality. Is Father Carney in, Michael? I could hear Alice inquiring. He is. Well, I'd like to see him on particular business. Perhaps you are thinking of buying the school? suggested Michael pleasantly. Not at all, Alice made answer. It's private. Duly announced the two entered my office. Good afternoon, children. Alice, with a small package under her arm, was evidently, despite her customary smile, in a state of tense excitement. Elsie was, as usual, solemn-eyed, and burdened, too, with something she was bursting to tell me. I see, children, there's something on your minds. For the first time in my dealings with Alice, she seemed to be at a loss for speech. She looked at Elsie. Elsie looked at her. She leaned over and whispered in her little sister's ear, who in reply shook her head stoutly. It isn't bad news, I hope, said I in an attempt to break the ice. Father, said Alice, it's... It's a surprise. Oh, you want to surprise me, do you? Thanks very much. I just love to be surprised. Go on and surprise me. Haven't you a Victrola across in the music room? We have. Then, Father, would you please come over and put on this record? Alice held up her package. And then sit down, and Elsie and I will do the rest. We repaired at once to the music room. I noticed as we stepped across that the children were beautifully and daintily dressed. Of course, I had a fairly good idea of what was to come. Miss Margaret Sullivan, the Miss Margaret Sullivan who worked at Wurlitzer's, had given me the key to what would otherwise have been a mysterious proceeding. I was prepared, then, to guess that the record in question was the Hansel and Gretel duet, and having put it on the machine, I seated myself according to directions. The two girls, in the meantime, had taken a station in the middle of the room, poised for movement. I'm Hansel, announced Alice. And I'm Gretel, cried Elsie. With the first strain, off they went in movements which, at first quiet and graceful, gradually became more and more lively. I had seen this dance before, done by professionals, but I had not seen in those artists of the stage the abandon, the grace, the perfect expression of the child's spirit which Alice, and to a certain degree Elsie, put into this famous duet. It was a remarkable performance. Capital, my children, I exclaimed at the end, who in the world taught you? Alice taught me, answered Elsie, and she had a hard time and scolded me. Once she beat me, too. Oh, Elsie, how can you say such a thing? I never did. Well, you gave me a slap. You know you did, expostulated Elsie. That's different. You'd get a saint mad. You're so stiff. But who taught you, Alice? I saw the play, answered Alice, and I watched Hansel and Gretel when they danced. And then I went down to a friend of yours at Wurlitzer's. She's an awful nice lady, and got her to play it for me before I forgot the steps I saw. There was to be an entertainment in the school hall on the following Wednesday. On the spot, to their extreme involubly expressed delight, I engaged the Morrow sisters for their special number. How's Mama? I asked as we returned to my office. Oh, she's very well. Thank you, Father, Alice replied. She's been working the last ten days at these dresses. How do you like them? They are just right. Your mother is an artist with a needle. 
she stayed up all hours to do it and she said she was only too glad to do it for you how nice of your mother is your father working he lost his job last saturday he's been sick too but he's well again now singular i reflected mr morrow is either just losing his job or just getting a new one he is either sick or getting well some day i hope to hear that he is both well and working these reflections i did not voice but having dismissed the children with candy and renewed congratulations i telephoned the long-suffering miss margaret dalton to look into the affairs of the morrow household once more our entertainment on wednesday night was an uncommon success the morrow sisters danced re-danced and danced again the hall on this their first appearance was filled with men and women who as they gazed on the two sprites threw off their age and became young again miss margaret and two of her sisters were present and the entertainment concluded took care of the little ones to such effect that within the ensuing hour alice had five dishes of ice cream to her credit and elsie seven for the next two entertainments the morrow sisters continued to be the bright particular stars and then something happened which made a considerable change in our hitherto pleasant relations it was the last monday in the month of march seated at my desk i was going over the financial accounts of the school a painful duty when a very little girl with very big eyes entered father she began coming to the point at once sister dorothy gave me this note to give to you she says she don't know what to do about it the note in question had been placed in an envelope and sealed by the teacher it ran thus dear sister i am keeping alice home from school this morning as we have not a thing in the house to eat all day sunday we were nearly starved alice is out trying to get potatoes my husband is out of work and today is very sick could you not get me some food from the convent i have heard that the sisters are very charitable and i do not like to call upon father kearney so often it is very hard to beg but i do it for the sake of my little children respectfully mrs morrow little girl i said carefully folding the note and putting it in a special drawer of my desk you tell sister dorothy that she need not trouble about this affair at all i'll take care of it myself then I went to the telephone. Miss Margaret? Yes. This is Father Carney speaking. Have you visited the Morrow family lately? Yes, Father. I was there Thursday last, and things did not look so good. Mr. Morrow lost his job on the Monday preceding, or rather, he could not hold it because he took sick. He was in bed in the inner room last Thursday, and his wife said he was sleeping and thought he should not be disturbed. Do you know, Margaret, that the children have not had a decent meal since last Saturday? What? screamed Margaret. I repeated my statement, adding, And today there's not a thing in the house. Why, Father, you've been misinformed. I sent them a basket of provisions Saturday afternoon. It was now my turn to bellow. What? Who said they had nothing to eat? continued Margaret. I have in my desk just now the written statement of Mrs. Morrow. Today, little Alice is not at school because she has to go potato hunting to replenish the empty larder. Father, listen, there's something wrong, and I'll go right down to their house and see what is the matter. Wait a while, Margaret. Let's try to get our facts in good shape. To begin with, are you sure the basket was delivered? I take it for granted. I ordered it at Sander's grocery. Well, suppose I call up Sander and find out. Accordingly, I called up the grocer by telephone. To my question, Mr. Sander thus replied, They certainly got their basket of provisions on Saturday afternoon before five o'clock. I packed the basket myself. There was sugar, coffee, ham, bread, a soup bone, and, 
and, well, enough provisions to last that family for four days. Our boy John here delivered the basket himself into the hands of Mrs. Morrow. Telling the faithful Michael, who blessed with excellent hearing, had taken in the situation thoroughly, to get Miss Margaret to investigate, I summoned Elsie Morrow. Elsie came in looking troubled. Elsie, is it true that there is nothing to eat at home? Mama didn't want you to see that note. So I suppose. But that doesn't answer my question. Is there anything to eat at home? No, father, not unless Alice has got some potatoes. And how about Sunday, yesterday? We had beans. Go, get your hat, run home, and bring Alice to my office as fast as you can. Within an hour Alice entered. She did not look like a fairy. Her step was slow. Her smile was gone. Alice, I began, is it true that there's nothing to eat in the house? Yes, father, she made answer, hanging her head. And is it true that you didn't have a full meal all day Sunday? We had some beans and potatoes. What about Saturday evening? Did you have a meal then? Yes, we had something. Something! I exclaimed with an energy, which caused Alice to jump into Blanche as though I had struck her. Good heavens, child! What about the basket of provisions Miss Margaret sent your mother Saturday afternoon? Alice had gone white. Her head was down. She was squeezing her hands, but she gave no answer. Do you hear me? I cried, losing, I am sorry to say, my patience. We ate it all up Saturday night. Alice, you have lied to me, and I am simply disgusted with you. I never thought that Alice Murrow would tell a lie like that. Then Alice raised up her voice and wept. There was no mistaking the sincerity of her grief. Excited though I was, and carried away by anger, the pain in her eyes, the poignant pain, remained to haunt my memory for weeks to come. I seated the child and was waiting for her to compose herself, when there appeared on the scene Miss Margaret Dalton and Mrs. Morrow. The mother was a distressful sight. Her face showed the haggardness of weariness in watching. One of her eyes was badly discolored. Father, said Margaret, while Alice, unbidden, beat a retreat, we've got the truth at last. Mr. Morrow is a sober man most of the time, but whenever he has paid his wages, he gets drunk at once. He drinks till there's no money left, and then he takes to his bed. He's sick, then. I do not like to tell my husband, patient, long-suffering little woman of the black eye, but I never would have told if I could help it. But I didn't think the sister would show you that note. After Miss Margaret sent me that basket, I couldn't ask her for food so soon. But what became of that basket? I asked. I don't know. He took it away Saturday night, and it came back without it. How did you come to injure your eye, Mrs. Morrow? Oh, I just ran against something. Against your husband's fist, I suggested. No, she said weakly. He didn't do it. Now the mother was lying. Oh, stuff! I exclaimed impatiently. You've been deceiving me right along. I'm through with you all. The best thing for you to do is to go to the Humane Society. Perhaps it is, said Miss Margaret doubtfully. You should see the living room. Everything is in disorder. The table has been smashed, and the stove-pipe is down, and the stove upset. By all means, let her go to the Humane Society. My husband, said the poor woman with some spirit, is the kindest, the cleverest, the best husband anyone could desire, and he's the most loving, the most attentive father that any children could have. She paused a moment and then added, When he's sober. 
Yes, I said harshly, and in order to keep him sober, put him in the hands of the Humane Society. How inhumanely I could talk of the humane. Miss Margaret, I continued, I am sorry to have put you to all this trouble and expense. We have been deceived. Goodbye, Mrs. Morrow. The poor dripping woman, half-starved, wholly loyal, arose and turned away. I could see the repressed tears struggling to her eyes. Looking back now, the memory almost brings the tears to mine. But at the moment I was too angry, too mortified, to perceive the sad note of the situation. God help us all. We try to do good, and because we allow our own feelings to influence us, we are cruel when we profess to be kind, merciless when we talk mercy, hard-hearted when we assume philanthropy. My wounded self-love had obscured my judgment, and so, in unreasoning wrath, I sent away a woman sadly needing strength and consolation, more weakened, more disturbed than ever, and wounded to the quick, the loving heart of an innocent child. End of chapter 6 Recording by Maria Therese